and welcome to the Bureau Asia podcast. I'm Matt Cowan, the Bureau Chief and your host. Thank you for listening in. Last episode, we put our super brains together and came up with a list of 10 things you shouldn't do when you visit Saigon. The theory behind the list was that we often get told what we should do and where we should go. So we thought we'd flip it on its head and create something a little bit different. An insider's guide to what you shouldn't do in order to make your stay here just that little bit less anxiety riddled. Genius. But how did it go? Not too bad, actually. It could have done better, but that's probably our fault for putting content out that's actually factual and not hyped up with a wow or a I'm super excited about this or a I didn't expect Saigon to be like this. In any case, I put the list together in a video as well and published it to the Bureau Asia's YouTube channel. And so far it's had about, drum roll please, 200 and something views, which is pretty shit. Now, I know I'm not really selling it to you by focusing on that, but I think you should go and have a look at it because I think it's a pretty good list. And who knows, a friend or family member might be coming to Vietnam soon and they'd benefit from it, so give it a share. Just search at the Bureau Asia on YouTube and you should be able to find it. As usual, our listeners are keen to give us feedback and regular listener Steve is never backward in coming forward when he reacted about fake coffee in Vietnam. Guys, you can do better. Where is the controversy? A lot of fake coffee imported from the Philippines, he says. Interesting, I've never heard that before, Steve. Perhaps I can ask Mel when she pops into the seat next to me. In my experience, the Pinoys don't have a big coffee culture. And why would you bring sand to the beach, so to speak, when you can add a bunch of chemicals to soybeans for flavour and roast them up? Or, as was discovered back in 2019 in Dak Nong in the central highlands of Vietnam, the home of coffee, just add manganese dioxide, otherwise known as battery powder, to poor quality beans to give them that extra zing. No doubt with that brew, you'd be ever ready. But yes, Steve, we'll try to do better. And according to George in Saigon, who responded to my suggestion that you shouldn't bother waiting at the taxi rank at the international terminal, but instead make the short walk over to the domestic terminal to catch a cab, he said, the taxi rank, you don't even need to go to the domestic terminal. You can come out of the international arrivals and go left, Keep going and you'll see the Venus Suns and my Lins. Okay, well, it seems things have changed, George, because it used to be a massive shit fight when you came out of those front doors past the throngs of greeters, turned left and then elbowed your way and then elbowed through the scrum to nab a cab. I trust your judgment on this, Georgie, but you haven't swayed me from just popping over to the domestic airport rank for now what I think to be the better of the two evils. And finally, also commenting on the coffee culture in Vietnam, Dimitar, also in Saigon, said that, I've noticed recently Gafe Pha Mai has become more popular as an alternative to the usual streets. Will, yes, I've noticed that too. Basically what Dimitar is talking about are the coffee machines that you'll see outside shop fronts on the footpaths Actually, sometimes in very unusual places, it seems as long as you can get electricity to your coffee cart, then you're good to go to set one up. Uh, There's one outside what looks to be a derelict apartment building near the wet market, not too far from where I live, and it happens to be pretty popular. So let me know where you get your coffee in Saigon. 
And let me in on your favourite cafe while you're at it and I'll go and check it out and report back here. You can do that by sharing it via Instagram or Facebook at The Bureau Asia. Or if you're listening on Spotify, you can leave your recommendation in the Q&A section below the show notes of this episode. Alternatively, join our Facebook group and share it there. Just search for the Bureau Asia group on Facebook and you should find it easily enough. We have over 2,500 members in the group now and it's growing all the time. Okay, so on with this episode. In the first half of the episode, we catch up on what we've been doing this week, including what's been happening in the news. There've been some extraordinary stories since our last episode. Also, we'll be trash talking. Well, kind of. Littering in Vietnam is rampant, and in the second half of the episode, we're going to chat about the psychology behind littering. No, we're not experts, but we're going to get one in. Dr. Justin Pang, a lecturer and researcher at RMIT Vietnam in Hanoi, has kindly agreed to take time out of his busy schedule to join us as we try to get to the bottom of why the Vietnamese litter so much. And we review Bay Bistro's new brunch lunch menu. Bay Bistro is in Tao Dien in Saigon and we popped along there to try it out recently, so hang around for that. And hanging around with me for that and more is the Bureau Asia's content manager, Melanie Kasul. How you been, Mel? Uh, I felt a bit rubbish earlier in the week. <laughs> oh, so you got it. Good. No, but I, I was really sick, actually. But I've been wheelie bin much better ever since. <laughs> okay, good to hear you're not down in the dumps anymore. No. Hey, have yeah? you ever littered before, Mel? Um... I've been known to spit out a gum or two. Yeah, but uh, that's by you. Okay. Yeah, but that's biodegradable, right? Well, it's degrading at least. Uh, now, yeah. can you think back to when you mm-hmm. did it and tell me why you think you did it? I know. I don't know. I just got bored chewing a stale gum, I guess. And <laughs> we were still on the road, on the motorbikes. So, yeah, I think I just couldn't wait for us to stop. Okay. Yeah, all right. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, yeah. no worries. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I actually littered yesterday on my way to the Bun Mi Festival. Mm -hmm. I went down into the parking lot here with a plastic bottle, Uh but alas, it was empty. Okay. Alas, there was no bin. So I put it in an abandoned shopping trolley from the mall up the road. Is that bad? Well, actually, those trolleys, you know, um, people use them to go to the recycling area or to, you know, to sell stuff. Oh, that's what they use them for. Yeah, so oh, right. you might actually have contributed to oh. to somebody's okay. income. Well, it's a pretty yeah. new phenomenon, isn't it? Yeah. These, uh, <laughs> you know, low, abandoned shopping trolleys in <laughs> Vietnam because it's a fairly new thing. Oh, um, but speaking of the Ban Mi Festival, well, yep. I also went, obviously, and there were literally mountains of piles and piles yeah, that's of gonna plastic. Come up. That's going to come up a little bit later. You know, in the later. fest grounds. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit. Anyway, um, how was your week? Any highlights? Oh, the highlight was drum roll here. All right, I'll play that. Yeah. 
I only ate rice with my meals maybe only three times a week. <laughs> okay. Instead, I had a bunch of bread, including a crackling pork bun me at nice, the festival. Nice. And ordered McDonald's cheeseburger oh. because I don't know if this was an April Fool's Day joke, but there was um there was there was something on social media that was circulating that said that McDonald's will be stopping their burger line starting yeah, with something. the McRoyal. Yep. I saw some is I, I didn't even know there was a McRoyal. <laughs> I only ever get a Big Mac. Yeah. But I did hear those rumors circulating during the week along with yeah the discovery of? and naming of Vietnam's newest highest peak, Mel. Of course, Mount Fancy Pan is or was, I should say, Vietnam's mm-hmm. highest peak, sometimes referred to as the roof of Indochina okay. up north in Lai Chau Province. Until yesterday, that is, when Bunmi Mountain oh gosh, suddenly yeah. rose out of nowhere in the middle of the Ho Chi Minh City Youth Centre where Saigon's first ever Bunmi Festival is being held. Yeah, apparently there were like 200 stalls, but not all of them were really selling I think there are only 120. In the end, okay. I, th- I thought initially there were 200, but right. I think according to the program, it was 120. But um, yeah, you're right. Not all bun me, actually. A no. lot of flour was being sold and yeah. other sort of associated products. Uh, yeah, we were only there for about an hour or so, but <laughs> in that time, Ooh. this new roof of Indochina formed by piles of trash from the event grew to epic proportions and by now I reckon it's probably as high (laughs) as the actual roof. Yeah, because it was a four-day event, right? No, but to be fair to people, quote-unquote, throwing the trash, they... They were looking for bins. I saw a lot of people just, including us, was like, where can I throw this, you know? And, you know, it all just piled up next to trash bins that were already full. Yeah, but so to be fair, it was, you know, in, oh, in, yeah. in central areas. There was nowhere yeah. to put it, which no. is kind of typical. It's symbolic of what it's like here anyway in mm. greater society. And, but the sort of the really weird thing about it was, was that people were actually sitting around it eating. Including us <laughs> and smelling yeah, Oh, things. man, the oh. smell. Um, other than that, this week I didn't really get up to too much, mm-hmm. um, although I did head over to Bintan. Okay. Earlier in the week. Now, uh, for people who don't live here or know Vietnam, Saigon very well, Bintan is what I would describe as a relatively small district um, mm-hmm. at around 21 square kilometres. So smallish, but still fair. I don't know. It's fairly big with a population of at least half a million people. So actually, I guess it's not that small after yeah. all, is it? Uh, Bintan is a densely populated pocket of land right next to District 1 in the northeastern side of it, and it's bounded by the Saigon River and the Tignere Canal. So if you're familiar with Saigon, you'll know of Landmark 81, the tallest tower in Vietnam. I think it's like, I don't know, second or third highest or tallest tower Mm. in Southeast Asia as well. Well, that's in Bintan and uh, Chung Sa Street, which is fairly well known in Saigon. It runs alongside there of the canal and it forms the boundary of the district. Anyway, while I was over there, I had a tasty bun me as recommended by a YouTuber I follow. And I tagged him in a post okay. on YouTube, actually, All in right. the, uh, the Bureau Asia YouTube channel okay. community 
tab. Ah, all right. Um, and he didn't respond. He was probably underneath the pile of <laughs> yeah. trash, underneath the Bundy Mountain, and now floating along the canal. Look, I think, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, because he has fifty thousand plus subscribers, and mm. uh, you know, I have a quite a few less than that. So uh, anyway, not bitter. I'm not bitter or anything. Um, yeah, but it would be nice if these guys acknowledged the little tag here and there. But anyway, while I was over there, yeah, I did a bit of filming for our upcoming segment on littering in Vietnam. And uh, let, let me tell you, Mel, there's mm? plenty over Ooh. in that neighbourhood. So be sure to hang around for that coming up soon. Mel, I think our efforts to offer our listeners more updates on things happening in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam and the region have been pretty successful so far, don't you think? Yeah, it's always good to know what's happening around the country. And thanks to everybody who's been telling us that, you know, it's been fun listening to yeah. you know, our point of view of what's happening. Yeah, it's cool to hear that. So uh, we might as well stick with it, eh? Yep. Yep. This is our Newsfeed segment. <laughs> This week, Mel, Netflix released the trailer to the uh, much-anticipated release of A Tourist Guide to Love, an American rom-com that was filmed here in Vietnam last year and written by Vietnamese-American Irene Donahue, who was inspired by her travels to explore her roots. Her mother is Vietnamese. Yeah, it's coming out 21st April. The story follows a travel executive who experiences an unexpected breakup and decides to accept an assignment to learn about the tourism industry in Vietnam. Along the way, she finds adventure and romance with her Vietnamese expat tour guide when they decide to hijack the tour bus to explore life and love off the beaten path, as you do. Wait a minute, have you seen it? <laughs> no. So how come you know everything? <laughs> the movie, I've hijacked a golf buggy before, but anyway, that's another story. <laughs> the movie features American actress Rachel Lee Cook, Vietnamese-American actor Scott Lee, and Vietnamese actresses Truk Chan and Le Thien. Mel, you shared mm-hmm. the trailer in our Facebook group. What kind of reaction did you get? Yeah, we had a lot of engagements and click clicks out to the trailer on YouTube. And here are some of the reactions we got. Most of them actually, you know, a, it was a mix of male-female reactions, likes, ha-has, you know, care, hearts. But most of the people that reacted were males. Huck said... Once you go Asian, you'll always be craving. <laughs> okay. Apparently. Yeah. Um, AT said, finally, Netflix is exposing what it's like to be with Asian men. <laughs> Why Asian man? I think that was, no, I'm not going to say it. I'm okay. not going to say it. I'm going to leave it there. No. Why yep. see and man? I don't know. How do you say that? I don't that? know. I don't okay. know what that means. And Melanie, oh, that's me. <laughs> I said, Eat, pray, love, the Vietnam version. So eat durian, light the joystick, love the VK tour guide. <laughs> nice one, love it. I'm more looking forward to the sequel, A mm-hmm. Tourist Guide to Getting a Visa in Vietnam. <laughs> 
And also your review of A Tourist Guide to Love. You're actually going to do one for yeah, us at some look, point. Um, we're going to do it uh, goggle box style, definitely. Yeah, that's look a out good idea. That. I think yep. we'll do that. So mm-hmm. I don't know if everyone knows what goggle box is. Yeah. They should by now. Hopefully. But, but just give us a little uh, So goggle, ba- yep. goggle box is a show uh, originating from the UK and it also has a Australian version. So basically a bunch of quote unquote ordinary people. And there's also a celebrity version. Um, They watch a show and then they react to it. And then it gets edited um, along with everybody's reactions. But they don't show the whole show, obviously, for copyright reasons. Are we going to do that in the bed or in the bedroom? Well, I guess we should, you know, (laughs) do it where we normally watch TV, which is in our living room. So that could be good. All right, that'll be cool. Look, despite appearances and, you know, the way I sound sometimes on the podcast, I am a sucker for rom-coms, you know, so, but I am interested in how an American Asian filmmaker like Donahue puts in. Oh, she's American. I thought she was Irish. Oh, that is she? That name is pretty Irish. Oh, yeah. Well, Asian American, right? Okay. She lives in the U.S. Oh, does yeah. she? Okay. Um, you know, how she puts in quote unquote oriental lens to the female gaze on this mm. flick, you know, so. I think I might have to dig deep into my feel, film school roots yep. to review this one. Yep. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, it should be good. April 21st is the release. Now, Mel, another movie is screening at a limited number of cinemas in Saigon at mm-hmm. the moment, and it certainly looks to have a fair bit more substance than A Tourist's Guide to Love. Okay. Oh, but hey, let's not judge too quickly. Well, okay? this one's called Children of the Mist. It's a 2021 documentary set in a village hidden in the mist-shrouded mountains in northwestern Vietnam. All right. So it's a document. So obviously very different from a rom-com. Okay, I get it. The documentary takes place with an indigenous Hmong community, which is home to 12-year-old D or Yi. Mm -hmm. I think Z in the language up there. Okay. Who is part of the first generation of her people with access to formal education. Oh, wow. Okay. A free spirit, G recounts her experiences to Vietnamese filmmaker Dim Ha Le, who planted herself with G's family over the course of three years to document this unique coming of age as she faces the local custom of bride kidnapping. Okay. Wow. Serious. Okay. Yep. The documentary shines a spotlight on the real sides of life for teenage girls in remote areas of Vietnam. Smart, bright children who want nothing but the freedom to decide their own lives. And they should, you know. Um, I hope it has a good outcome. I've been seeing a lot of trafficking rescue stories from the good people of Blue Dragon Foundation lately. And it's a very harsh reality those kids, you know, face there every single day. I I can't begin to imagine what those young girls and even boys are going through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, since it was formed in 2002, Blue Dragon Children's Foundation, which finds children and young people in crisis situations such as slavery, homelessness and extreme poverty, has rescued more than 1,000 people from slavery, Mm. has given shelter and built homes for more than 1,100 people, and reunited almost 2,500 children and young adults with their families after being trafficked or left homeless. Do you know if they're involved in the film? Yeah, no idea. I don't know. 
I'd imagine they may have advised. I'm not. I'm not too sure. Mm-hmm. But you yeah, think that you would, would be, as a filmmaker, yeah. You'd, yeah. you'd contact groups like that, wouldn't you? Well, I hope it gets a wider release in the cinemas. Uh, look, all I see at you know the CGV are very escapist genres. I think moviegoers, especially young people, need to see this up on the big screen. You know, give young city folk a, a jolt of a reality yep. check that. There is more to life than hanging out at Starbucks and perfecting dance moves on TikTok, yep. really. Sorry. While we're on the subject of kidnapping and human trafficking, it's perhaps little known by many of our listeners mm-hmm. that the kidnapping of young women, especially in the far northern provinces of Vietnam bordering China, is commonplace. Yeah. According to the US Department of State's 2022 Trafficking in Persons report, Vietnamese authorities reported identifying 126 victims in 2021 of whom 114 were female and 12 male. 45 of those were children. And these are just the reported ones. That's right, yeah. You know, we don't know how many more are are still out there undocumented. Vietnamese are trafficked into forced labour, sexual exploitation, illegal marriage and illegal adoption. Slightly more than half of those trafficked in 2021 were from vulnerable ethnic minority groups like the Hmong community that features in the documentary. Uh, Just terrible. Yeah, definitely one to check out. The trailer looks excellent. Mel, I'm sure you'll agree that the topic of busts isn't that unusual when conversations turn to flight attendants. However, this story that broke a couple of weeks ago is about a different kind of bust. Four Vietnam Airlines flight attendants were pinched recently on landing at Ho Chi Minh City's Tan Son Yat Airport Mm. after their long flight from Paris in possession of 11.4 kilograms of ketamine and cocaine. Oh, my God. I love watching Border <laughs> Patrol, you know, the UK, Australian and New Zealand versions. Maybe we can pitch it to, oh, wow, to yeah. the Vietnamese authorities. No, remember there was a, you know, a uh, yeah. the embassy and yeah. it featured actually the Vietnam Australian, emb- the, yeah. the Australian embassy, General. the consul general here in Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just mind numbing, you know, why? Dude, why do people make these decisions and get themselves into trouble, really? Well, this particular case set social media alight in Vietnam after the drugs were found in 157 of 327 Mm. tubes of toothpaste that the ladies had in their carry-on luggage. Wow, that's a lot of calcium (laughs) deposits. Do they carry any floss? (laughs) Uh, The flight attendants, presumably all with amazing teeth, were arrested (laughs) at the airport where they told police that they had agreed to transport the 60 kilograms of toothpaste tubes at the request of a person in France via another Vietnam Airlines employee. That French person person must really be convincing. <laughs> Ooh, ooh la la. you want to carry this? With a big grin. Yeah. Can I say that again? Hey, the Frenchman or woman who must have been con- very convincing. That's the their- worst French accent I've ever heard. <laughs> Flash their pearly whites. So <laughs> anyway, the flighties said they were paid 10 million Viet- Vietnam dong, oh. which is about 420 something US dollars to bring the tubes for, into Vietnam. For each tube? No, I don't or think so. Or as a package? No, how many were there? There were like 327. That's not worth the risk at all. How many kilograms of it? 
Naturally, all four denied knowing what was inside the tubes, which doesn't surprise me, to be honest, Mel. Mm. How would flight attendants be expected to know that toothpaste comes in toothpaste tubes? (sighs) That's where you laugh. Insert laugh. (laughs) And also, how are they expected to know that they were potentially facing the death penalty? Or it's worse, the law. it's the law. Yeah, but or worse, keeping their jobs with Vietnam Airlines uh-huh. for the rest of their lives, or until it goes broke, whichever comes first. Look, maybe while in jail, they can look into online courses. You know, <laughs> they could probably work their way to becoming a dental technician. But get this, Mel. The plot thickened when yeah. authorities announced a week later that there wasn't enough evidence ah. to lay criminal charges, and the story has been pretty much dropped off the pages of the news. Ooh. I guess the tooth fairy made it disappear. Well, if you thought that news item was out there, then this one is next level. Ho Chi Minh City Police this week arrested a 44-year-old man for drug possession and child abuse after a video emerged of a three-year-old smoking a meth pipe. Yeah, I saw that. Sorry, that's just stupid. Do I really need to comment on this story? There's not much to say, really, is there? The boy's biological father reported it to police after coming across the video of his ex-wife's partner giving him the pipe. According to the boy's mother, she said, we only let the boy use meth once just for fun. The mother was also reported to be heard in the background asking the boy, is it okay? Oh, look, drug addiction is such a sad disease. Uh, And so is domestic abuse and codependency, if that's the situation happening with the the mother and the boyfriend, which, you know, clearly it's all playing a part in this. I do hope the child doesn't have long-term trauma from this and that the, I don't know, Ho Chi Minh City Children's Rights Protection Association, that they can get the authorities to take the boy out of this messed up situation. Now, in finance news, Mel, beverage chain Footlom has reported the second highest revenues in the bubble tea and coffee industry last year Ooh. with revenue of 1.579 trillion Vietnam dong or <laughs> around about 67 million US dollars. That's a lot of bubble tea. That is a lot of bubbles. Highlands Coffee reported revenues of over 2 trillion Vietnam dong in 2019 and 2020. So they don't count. Oh. Even in the pandemic, they made money. Yeah. Yeah, well, you, I like the dark lava from Koi Te bubble tea. I'm not really a customer of those top tier all right, brands. All right, I trust you on that one. So where does that leave Starbucks, I hear you ask, Mel? So where does that leave Starbucks, Good, I'm Matt? glad you asked, Mel. Well, <laughs> Starbucks has been in the news a bit lately, of course. This year, it's celebrating 10 years in Vietnam. And many widely believe that it's failed in its bid to win over the Vietnamese. Mm. There are now 87 branches here in Vietnam, I believe. And they do look busy, I've got to say, whenever I drive by. And they also deliver using those um, apps. So we don't see that. Yeah, Yeah, true. True. Uh, We have at least, what, 10 in District 7? They must be close to it. Yeah, not sure how their master franchise, you know, researches locations or, you know, if they just sell to anyone that can afford the franchise, but it's getting kind of crowded in here. Yeah, it's mental. Our Mm. neighborhood must have one of the highest concentrations of Starbucks branches in the world. There are at least nine in about a four kilometer radius. Mm. Anyway, a few weeks ago, I came across a YouTube video by a young American living here in Saigon by the name of Dustin. And his video was titled, 
Why Starbucks Failed in Vietnam, which, by the way, has got almost 560,000 views. And it got me thinking, has Starbucks really failed in Vietnam? <laughs> oh, clickbait. You fell for it. I know, I did. <laughs> so I took it to the people in our Facebook group at the Bureau Asia and asked them. Okay. Chris in Saigon said, whenever I've been in a Starbucks, for example, Taudian or around the Intercon Saigon, they always seem to be packed. Not yeah. sure if they've failed. Yeah. Russ, also from Saigon, said, I wouldn't say 50 stores in Ho Chi Minh City is failing and the busiest of these are 85 to 90% Vietnamese patrons, not expats. Young people. And Chad in Saigon too said, Starbucks is crushing it. It's sad mm. but true. Ask any office worker and see the collection of branded coffee cups they, they have. Ask them what coffee they want That's ordered. Right. And I bet they know all the seasonal releases. These reports of the big chains not being successful are laughable mm. as they have long distance plans and bundles of cash to make it happen. Mm. Meanwhile, not everyone agreed that Starbucks has been a success. Ashley in Australia said, apparently there are 87 Starbucks, which sounds like a lot, but in a country of 100 million, oh, yeah. it's hardly matching their growth elsewhere in regard to the percentage of the market they captured. Yeah, when you think about it, yeah, she has a point. Mm -hmm. And Stephen in Saigon said, with only less than 50 stores in Australia, we could consider them a comparative failure. It's no surprise, though the thinking differs from Vietnamese coffee drinkers. Aussies expect coffee to be of premium presentation and taste, mm -hmm. whereas Starbucks offers the opposite on both counts. <laughs> Starbucks in Vietnam has only a supposed Insta status value <laughs> associated with it, and this will fade in time. Mm. I reached out to Starbucks Vietnam General Manager Patricia Marquez for an interview, Mel. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, to you ask did. her if Starbucks had actually failed or not here in Vietnam, to which she politely declined for now. Okay. But the door has been left open slightly ajar for a potential interview with her, but the ball is in her court. Mm, all right, Patricia, call us for that coffee meeting. Mel, by far the tastiest thing about our episodes are the reviews. And this week we're reviewing Bay Bistro in Taodien. Mm. What can you tell us about it? Well, it's a family-owned bistro. Um, their meat, the beef, the pork, the lamb, they're all sourced from top suppliers from Australia, New Zealand, and 100% um, free range. They also have sustainably farmed and line-caught seafood from Vietnam, okay, New nice. Zealand, and Japan. Nice. And their vegetables are mostly sourced from Dalat. Okay, so let's um, talk a little bit about the location. Okay, so uh, this is probably um, a tricky place to get to. It was... It was tucked away, like at the back of Mastery. Yep. And then, as you know, until now, if you are living in Vietnam and you live in Tao Dien, the roads are still under construction. <laughs> yeah. Usually one lane roads. So, yeah, it's yeah. a very narrow street for yep. the amount of traffic it carries. Um, and if you're coming from, say, District 1 or District 7 or wherever, it's, you've got to negotiate 
the main highway and then mm. you've got to find your way sort of through. We ended up going through Mastery somehow. Yeah, the Mastery apartment quick, block. Yeah, I don't know that's right. a quicker way to find it. No. And then on the way out, uh, we, got, we ended up in some sort of waterway. To okay. remember that, <laughs> yeah. got lost, had to turn around and still come back. So, yeah, a little bit tricky, but um, don't give in. Yeah. Because it's a lovely little place. So what were your first impressions when we pulled up out the front? Well, you can uh, – there's parking, so yep. that's good. Yep. Parking guy helps you. Although I parked at the door <laughs> and then the parking guy goes, uh, no, dude. across. across yeah. 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 So nice uh, high ceilings, very airy, a bit of a nautical feel. Yeah, it has a but, bit of a beachy feel, doesn't it? But the it? Vietnam beach feel. Yeah, with yeah. the – I think – you know, on the ceiling, the decorations on the ceiling, mm-hmm. kind of ropes and yeah. – is that it? I think and, it's like uh, a rotan. Yeah, it yeah, it's – and it feels kind of breezy, like mm-hmm. you said, with the higher sort of ceilings and Cushions simple, on but the chairs. Yeah. yeah, and big enough for me, yep. which is good. <laughs> hey, before we get stuck into what we ate okay. – I need to uh, let everyone know that we were actually invited to try out Bay Bistro's new brunch items by Max, the Thanks, chef Max. and owner. Mel, you and I had decided we, we weren't going to feature establishments on the podcast who invite us to try them out. However, yep, uh, we've broken that rule already <laughs> because we had an excellent experience yes, at Bay Bistro. Uh, oh, did I just give away the review? No, no. Yet okay. we're, we're going to go into details. Okay. Anyway, I think Max deserves the support, and mm-hmm. uh, w- so we agreed. We agreed to feature Bay Bistro this week. Yep. So let's start. Yeah. Okay. So don't hold back. I okay. mean, if there's something that that you think you know that needs improvement, needs improvement. Or, okay. You know, let us know. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> what did we have? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we had a few things, and we shared it. First off. Let's talk about the roast lamb oh, rump. Yeah. Yep. yep. So thinly sliced lamb, medium. And what was really nice about it, I thought, was that we we weren't forced to eat like a side of mashed potatoes yeah, that was too rich. Well, it wasn't yeah. a roast. It wasn't a Sunday roast no. by any stretch, was yeah. it? Because well, you can have that as well. It's on their menu. But these are the, the new. Yeah, yeah. These are the new brunch items. So instead of a big, heavy, you know, mashed potato side, you eat it with zucchini, asparagus, minted potato, but, nice. you know, cut like in small cubes, a warm salad. Oh, and get this, smoked cashew cheese. Yeah, nice. Which I, is really interesting. Yep. As yep. you know, lamb is my favorite. It's what mm-hmm. I grew up on. I requested it from mum for every birthday. <laughs> Absolutely. I even had two pet lambs when I was growing up. So oh. I have an affinity with lamb. I- I didn't eat them, by the Fred way. Fred and but, Barney. But uh, Max's lamb, <laughs> yes, Fred and Barney. Max's lamb was cooked to perfection. It was really mm-hmm. tender, a little bit pink inside. So Beautiful. the salad also had like a lemon dressing and yep. then there was uh, an olive tapenade that you can yep. like, you know, yep. rub on your lamb before yeah, you put it in your mouth. Yeah, and that came in at 690000 mm-hmm. for the 300 grammer. I think okay. there's... Um, different prices for... Yeah, there's three different sizes and that's the more expensive one. 300 grams is the highest he goes up to. Okay, so yeah, recommend that one. What's the next one? We also had the slow baked eggplant caponata. So what this is, is a, is a ca- vegetarian I, I ate dish. It, but <laughs> Max described it to us as kind of like a shashushka. shashushka <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah like I can't that. pronounce yeah. that either. Yeah. So it's vegetarian. 
roast eggplant with olive oil, tomatoes, shallots, uh, throw in some basil, cooked in red wine. There were two soft uh, poached eggs mm. and there was uh, home-baked focaccia, strips of bread. And if you wanted, you can add a little bit extra for an Iberico Sobrasada sausage. That's a mouthful, Mel. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it, it, it clocks in at 190000 yep. but then you have to pay additional for the sausage. Right, okay. Right. Um, nice one. So this was really lovely, a very light, and if you're a vegetarian, this is one dish that, you know, that you'll love for yep. sure. Yep. But I did have a small comment and, and the wait staff, they asked us actually, you know, yeah, the tell wait us. Staff yeah. Are excellent. yeah. And I did tell the wait staff as a feedback that I wish that the focaccia bread was either more, like more pieces of it yep. or a little bit thicker. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. you really want to dip into that yeah, you do. egg yep. and that, you know. Yeah, fair call. That, I think that would be that a nice basil and yep. red wine sauce. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was delicious, but you do need that bread. More bread. You? Yeah. Exactly. And then. Um, Last but not least, Max surprised us off the menu with a Philly cheese steak yeah, sandwich. That's right. Yeah, we'd had the roast lamb rump and then the caponata. We'd mm-hmm. had a few drinks, coffee. Um, coffee and juice. Um Look, I'm about 90 kilograms. You're about <laughs> 50. Half of you, you're, I guess. Let's, let's say you're a good eater. Yeah. So, we, you know, we, we can eat a little bit, but we'd, we're pretty right. We're pretty much done. Yeah. And then Max came out um, Surprise. and surprised us with this Philly cheesesteak thing. And, um, yeah, it was pretty Huge. rich. It was pretty rich. and Two slices, uh, well, it, two slices, well. Like a bun me. Yeah, so it came out like a bun mi, but soft bread, and it was full of thinly sliced beef with a cheese dressing, mayo, yep. or, Whatever or just melted cheese. cheese. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top, it had onion rings, and then there was also French fries, and then like a red cabbage uh, salad on the side, pickles. Amazing. Yeah. It was off the menu though. So I don't know whether if you go in there or not and, mm-hmm. and ask him to cook one up for you, he'll <laughs> do it. But uh, would be worth giving it a go. And finally, yep. the service, Mel, how would you rate it? Oh, they were very accommodating to us. Polite, obviously. Yeah. They didn't upsell you. Yeah. You know, some servers, you know, they kind of want to of course, it's good to talk about the product and the food, but sometimes they upsell you, so you're not going to get that kind of um, chitter chatter. Yeah, here, yeah. Which the is service good. we've yeah. been there a couple of times now. The service is always friendly. They've, they're always knowledgeable. All up, I guess you could expect for brunch, you'd probably spend, based on our experience, around about eight hundred thousand for two people, mm-hmm. perhaps a million. But for brunch. the servings are big, yep. so if you want to try everything in them yeah. in the menu, just share, yep. you know. And or take a take a doggy bag. Yeah. All right, so there you have it. Bay Bistro in Taldian. Get yourself there for brekkie, brunch or lunch one of these days. I think it's worth it. Mel, this week when I was driving around town, 
I seem to notice more litter in the streets than ever before. I'm not sure if there is, to be honest, but it caught my eye and got me thinking, firstly, why do people litter? And secondly, why do Vietnamese people litter so much? Why is littering rampant in Vietnam? Uh, I've been living here for a long time. I still don't know the answer. But before we get into the psychology of it and listen to our expert who's coming up, I want to give you some numbers about waste in Vietnam, specifically plastic waste from a Vietnam-based website called vietnambriefing.com. All right, go on. Okay, so Vietnam is in the top four generators of plastic waste, churning out 280,000 tonnes per year. Keep in mind, an average medium-sized family car weighs around 1,000 kilograms approximately. So you could say that Vietnam generates the equivalent weight of around 280,000 medium-sized family cars of plastic each year. Wow. On average, every Vietnamese person consumes 41.3 kilograms of plastic per year, equivalent to, wait for it, 7,600 plastic grocery bags. Well... You know, Vietnamese are big cafe suda, cafe da, takeaway culture. Yeah, it's a big takeaway culture, isn't it? Yeah, Mm. it's very noticeable. So I hit the books, so to speak, and dug up some research on the topic of why people litter. And it revealed some interesting things, things that are readily observable right here in Saigon. All right. So a landmark study in the 90s, I think it was, by American psychologist and researcher Robert Cialdini who is, I believe, still Professor Emeritus of Psychology and Marketing at Arizona State University, worked off the hypothesis that we humans imitate the actions of those around us and therefore do what we think is expected of us. Uh, So this research is not specific to the Vietnam context. It's like in general. general. All right, okay. So everything comes down to norms and we get these cues from our environment. So if you see an environment that's highly littered, you tend to litter or feel okay about it. Likewise, if you see, let's say, one piece of litter in an otherwise litter-free environment, you're significantly less likely to litter. It calls attention to the fact that the majority of people aren't littering there. Interesting. Anyway, that's about as academic as I can and will get, Mel, so I'll leave it there. But thanks to you, I was able to connect with Dr. Justin Pang, a lecturer and researcher at RMIT Vietnam in Hanoi. Hey, Justin. Justin has a doctorate of hotel and tourism management. He has extensive professional working experience with five-star hotels and resorts in Southeast Asia and further abroad, and volunteers with the Singapore Environment Council, as well as regularly contributing to the Hanoi community by way of volunteering on cleanup days and helping to feed and support the homeless and less fortunate in our society. He's also a warrant officer in the Singapore Armed Forces. Oh, and he is an award-winning lecturer yeah, too. He's, he's got an amazing resume. Yeah. Anyway, I chatted to Justin earlier in the week about the attitudes and behaviours of Vietnamese when it comes to littering. Justin, thank you for taking time out to chat to me for this episode. Let me get straight into it. Why do the Vietnamese litter at the scale that they do? Well, I think that the, to start off, I mean, to, to be honest, I think the Vietnamese people are actually very clean people. I mean, they keep their houses clean and so on and so forth. But when they go out to the street, 
there is actually a, a certain mindset that, you know, uh, this is not my street. Uh, that's not so much of an ownership over public areas. So they, they, they would litter. I mean, uh, not that they want to, but it's also out of convenience. And they probably think that since this is not my street, it's not my house that I own, so I can pretty much do whatever I want to do. And it is the ownership of the government to look after the streets. So I, I believe that is the mindset of why Vietnamese people litter. That's only one aspect of it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, there is research I've seen a little bit on about that, about ownership and feeling, I guess, a sense of place a, and pride in a place. Do you think that mm-hmm. might come back to, we're talking about Saigon here, uh, even though you're based in Hanoi. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience in mm-hmm. Saigon is that actually at the moment it seems like it's getting um, dirtier and messier with, with litter. Saigon mm-hmm. tends to be a migrant city. Do you think that plays a role in it? Well, it does. Um, if it's a migrant city, people might come in with different values. And if the original values within the city itself, it's not strong or it's not something that can be easily passed over or influenced to the interlopers who are coming in, then people would, would, uh, would litter. And I also would think that it's probably people don't see the result of it. The issue is that I, I do see people trying to clean up the streets. I, I myself, I help out with a, uh, with a group, uh, Keep Vietnam Clean and, uh, or, or Keep Hanoi Clean as well. They, they go by several names. But every time I go out and we clean an area, what will happen is that after two, three weeks, you see the same prevalent problem happening again. After a lot of attempts, people tend to lose heart or they kind of don't feel that they are making a difference. And that's the, the way why people have uh, continued to litter. And it is also very much, I would say, a problem that is uh, that comes from the older generation, I would say, not the younger generation. So in that mm-hmm. case, then, how do you try and change those behaviours? What sort of strategies, firstly, um, have, have the oh. authorities <laughs> put in place? And secondly... Okay, uh, I, I personally, I think that the, what, the government is, what the government has done so far, it's not um, prevalent enough, I, I would say. I mean, they, they, they do uh, have uh, council workers to come and clean up the place, but there is no real effort to prevent this from continuing. I mean, uh, the streets are clean, cleaned up every night, but there is no ongoing effort to raise it to the next level. I come from Singapore, and um, during the 70s in Singapore, Singapore is very much like uh, Vietnam. I mean, it's an Asian country. Uh, people then uh, did not uh, care very much about the environment. And what the government in Singapore did was that they really studied it, and there are a couple of strategies that they did. First thing they did was placing more bins in certain strategic areas. For example, a bin will be placed outside the building because they know that when people exit a building, maybe they have gathered some rubbish and they want to discard it. So when you place bins at certain strategic points, there lies the opportunity to discard your uh, your rubbish without holding on to it. They also put it at strategic places, for example, 
at uh, bus stops because at the bus stop, when people alight from their bus, they still have the ticket. And if they don't see a, a dustbin, they'll just throw it on the floor. I mean, that's the mentality. So if there's a bin, then people will throw it there. So the Singapore government has also taken a stick and carrot approach. Okay, on one hand, the carrot is that once uh, once in a while, they'll feature a person who has been a strong advocate for for non-littering and they'll feature it on the newspapers, they'll blow it up and they'll, they'll put this person on the media and that helps to reinforce uh, people's mindset on littering. So that's the carrot. The stick method is that when they catch people littering in Singapore, they'll fine you, okay? They would uh, put you on CWO, which Singapore is famous for, corrective work order. And wow. they name and shame them. Yes, wow. you wear a yellow vest. Wow, it's like going to <laughs> Yeah. So, but, but what happens is that the other peripheral people on the sidelines looking at what's going on, it's like, oh my God, I don't want to be made a spectacle of, of this situation. It's so embarrassing. So that, that indirectly affects the surrounding people as well. So it's a carrot and stick. So do they uh, do they though that does that strategy have to work in tandem or can you have you know yes. perhaps just bins in better places more convenient places or you, or um, uh, just find people? <laughs> I, I think it's a two prong approach. You can't take one one approach. For example, just taking the stick approach, then you'll be seen as very draconian. You know, you, you don't want people right. to fear the government. You want people to to embrace what the government is doing. So um, in Singapore as well, I mean, I'll come back, I'll touch back on Vietnam. What they do is they, they take this approach and they put up a lot of signages, you know. If you if you were to uh, litter, it's going to be fined $500. So this effect is that it's constantly in your face. And after a while, it, it, it starts to manifest itself in what you're doing. Right. And this is also taught in the curriculum in the schools. So yeah, in the schools, we are taught you can't litter. And a lot of things start within the educational system. The, the issue here in Vietnam is that the older generation of Vietnamese did not go to schools or they did not have the opportunity or, or maybe they just they just went to school or, or at the primary school level and that's it. Right. So they are not really educated to that effect. And during those days, 20 years ago, the environment is the least of their concerns. What right. is most important was bringing home money to feed the family, making sure that your family continue to thrive and to sustain. And that is something that is not on their mind. But nowadays, if you talk about the uh, younger folk, they, they are taught about environmentalism, uh, uh, trying to keep the environment clean. They're taught that plastic takes a long time to deteriorate. So I, I have a lot of faith in the, the younger folk rather than the older generation in that sense. Right. And presumably 20 or 30 years ago, there wasn't as much plastic. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But trash, trash wise, I would say that uh, uh, there's still a fair amount, but you are very correct to say that there is uh, less plastic during that period of time. I mean, we don't have so much plastic, but there was still waste. For example, um, people would be using like uh, metal containers or leaf packaging, and, and this is still thrown out uh, at the end of the day after its usage. Now, I don't want to pick on but, uh, on the older generation too much, but um, no, 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 we <laughs> no, no. But but it's it's very interesting, and 
Presumably, though, the older generation still drives around town and sees the the prevalence of litter all over the streets. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just driving past the Saigon Zoo just the other day on the road that goes out to uh, Tao Dien or District 2, Tuduk. And it's, mm-hmm. it's all over the, the nature strip there. Is oh, it, okay. Do they, do they have a different tolerance level to it or something like that? Because surely, you know, I mean, I drive around and I see it and I sense it and I feel, you know, how dirty it is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, surely people living in, in the area would do something about it. Okay. A um, couple of points on that. I, I totally agree. I, I think the situation in uh, Vietnam uh, is that, People nowadays travel more, okay? So when they travel more, they, they can compare other cities which have done an excellent job in keep, keeping the place clean. But for many Vietnamese, they have not traveled overseas or seen a better environment. So this is something that they are, they are very uh, used to. And I think it's come to a point in time where it's become an accepted norm in, in that situation uh, uh, in terms of its rubbish. Uh, and um, as, as I've mentioned as well, I think uh, a lot of people don't look beyond what is within their homes and they will think that, hey, this is, this is something that it's somebody else's problem. It's not, uh, it's not something that I, I want to deal with. I'll, I'll give you an example. Just not too long ago, about two months, I, I, I saw this styrofoam box that was left on the road and uh, the styrofoam box was falling apart because it had been hit by by many cars and the little bits of styrofoam were flying into certain <laughs> shop houses. So okay. I can see the, yeah. yeah. So it was all styrofoam bits, little white bits all over. And the store owners along that road, they were, they were, they were sweeping the styrofoam bits off onto the road out of their shops. What I, I, I feel they could have done is that they could have taken a, a, a more holistic or higher level approach to to uh, clean the road as well. I mean, after all, you have got tools, you've got a pen. Why couldn't you have resolved that issue instead? So I guess this is also a problem. Of, uh, this is also an issue about how, how should you say, how evolved in a certain way and, and how, yeah. how you look at the environment. Like if you right. look at the Japanese, uh, the Japanese people would say, okay, we've got a problem here. I'm not just not going to solve the problem within my household. But I'm going to look at it from a higher context. And if I were to clean this up while I'm sweeping, if I will clean everything up, then the problem goes away. So it's a, it's a bit about how you want to see the issue, whether it's just affecting you or whether it's affecting the entire society or the entire community itself. Right. And is there any truth that it's in society that, in Vietnamese society, that people will litter thinking that oh someone else will pick it up and also I'm giving them a job at the same time. I would think so too. I mean I, I totally agree to that statement. I mean first and foremost as I already mentioned they don't think that it is my problem because what is outside my house is it's not my problem. But also there's an excess manpower in Vietnam in a certain way. So yes if if I'm gonna do that so I will I'm taking away somebody's job. I'll give you an example. In Singapore, now from where I'm from, for, for the longest time, uh, this is not about littering, for the longest time, there will be people clearing the tables at the hawker centers. And uh, the government uh, recently decided to change its policies to say that if you do not clear the table after you've used it in the hawker centers, it will be tantamount to littering. So 
people people change its mind. People change their mindset right. uh, when they are told about this. Yeah. So and initially as well, uh, Singaporeans thought that I'm giving the cleaner an opportunity to to clean. So in Singapore, there's there's a dearth of manpower. So technically, the government has said, right, you know, you're helping somebody else, and when we we don't provide jobs for these the cleaners, so we can reskill them and put them into a better position or to for for better okay. use itself. So in in Vietnam itself, we still have kind of excess manpower <laughs> right, uh, because right. it's a developing country. Yep. So yes, it's like giving somebody else an opportunity to work and an opportunity to earn some money from doing that cleaning. Does pride play a role in whether or not you litter or not? Well, I, I think it's not about pride. I think it's about convenience. Right. Because I've always uh, wondered, yeah, I've, I think- I've always sort of thought, you know, if you're kind of proud of, proud of your country and proud of where you live... Oh, Surely you wouldn't okay. you wouldn't trash it, but it oh, seems yeah, from what you're saying probably not. Uh, I think there is a certain pride in being a Vietnamese and and being um being in this community itself, and that's where I like to talk about the younger folk. The younger folk have a, a, a certain pride of being a Vietnamese or, or being proud of the environment, and right. they are doing a lot more. To, to try to change uh, what is going on. So I would say that, yes, there's a national pride in it. I think the problem with uh, the current situation is that, or I would say the problem is that younger, younger folk have a, a, a more macro mindset. They are not uh, hunkered down with the issues of feeding the family. Right. They are not hunkered down with, with other problems that their parents face. So as I mentioned, um, the parents face a different set of problems and their problems is trying to bring home money for the family to educate the family to make sure that they can continue to live and to thrive. For the younger people, they, they are well taken care of and because they are well taken care of, they can look at other issues like look at uh, the, the pollution problem, the littering problem, the animal abuse issues in Vietnam and so on and so forth. So the Vietnamese people are are evolving and, and they're they are, they are taking a, a more, they're looking at it from a bigger perspective rather than the little trivial ones, which is just taking of myself and also taking of, taking care of my family. Right. Okay. It makes sense. Which yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So um, in your opinion, what would be two or three things um, that you'd like to see enacted that would help in the reduction of this kind of littering behavior? Okay. I would... First and foremost, I would like schools to 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 uh, incorporate into their curriculum the problems of pollution, littering, so as to impress upon uh, students about the actions. These are negative actions in society, and 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 uh, the problems that come with it. That's one thing. Uh, looking at the curriculum, telling yep. people to do the right thing. Another thing I I really like to see happening is that is the provision of more uh, trash bins. I believe there are more trash bins. Yeah. People it's hard to find them, the that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. I mean, I, I'm sure you walk the streets of Vietnam and you hardly see a bin. Yeah, there's if not many. If you go to the... Yeah. There are not many. So, yeah. so what's the easiest way to get rid of rubbish? Just throw it on the floor. Oh, they're located in you know, really it, it, unusual places, you know. Somewhere where you wouldn't yeah, stop on a I, motorbike. <laughs> yeah, so you need to, there is, when Singapore did 
uh, a study on littering, they, they took it from a very scientific approach. So um, within five meters of a bus stop, you must have a bin. Uh, within uh, two meters of a building, you must have a bin. So these were all the guidelines or the uh, uh, regulations that were put in by the government to ensure that we, we, I mean, as Singaporean, myself as a Singaporean, don't litter. So it, it, it's just not a one, one step approach to looking at this problem. Right. You really need to look at it from multiple perspectives so as to curb the littering problem uh, in Vietnam. But I, I, I truly believe that the government has taken uh, great strides, especially in education and telling people about uh, the, the problems of littering. That's why I, I see a lot more activism in, in, um, in preventing littering among uh, the younger folk in, uh, in Vietnam. Yeah, well, going by what you're saying, it, lo- it looks like Vietnam hasn't lost the war on littering just yet, which is good to hear. No, it's not. It's not. Yeah, because driving around Saigon, it's like, okay, it looks like we've lost it. But um, it's good to hear from you about that. And uh, just before mm-hmm. I let you go, now you mentioned before that you volunteer on cleanups and things like that. What's, yes. the, what's the most shocking thing you've discovered that someone's thrown away? Wow. Uh, furniture, dumping, dumping of furniture, dumping yep. of um, TV sets, into into uh, the rivers, into the lakes. Uh, I think a lot of people do not think about the long term ramifications. If you are dumping a a TV set with a uh, battery cadmium in it, you are polluting the entire river and spoiling the ecosystem. I think a lot of people just take the easy way out, or they just, they just turn a blind eye to what's going on. And as long as it's not my problem, I'm done. I'm happy. Yep. Yeah, but they do not see the long-term issues about what they have actually uh, imposed upon uh, the community and uh, the people living in that area. Awesome. Justin, thanks heaps for your time today. It was really interesting. Okay. And uh, you've, you've got my spirits up about the future of Vietnam and its littering. Yeah, I think uh, that's so much, being, so much that's being done right now. I think a lot of people are more aware more social groups are coming up to, to, to create this awareness and to take up arms against littering. I think it's just a matter of time bet- uh, uh, when, when littering, I think littering would never go away, but uh, it would, um, it would um, slowly decrease and it will come to a certain level where it will start to stabilize and there'll be less people littering. Great to hear. I, I look forward to that time. Me too. <laughs> Anytime, sir. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please give it a like, share and comment and feel free to ask any questions related to Vietnam and the region on the Bureau Asia's social media channels at the Bureau Asia and I'll do my best to answer them. Mel, as usual, thanks for joining me again. Any plans for the week? Inspired by Dr. Justin Pang, not littering this week. I thought you were going to say clean up the place. (laughs) My plans are to prep for next week's episode. We usually do this bi-weekly, but we're going to back this one up with another episode next week because we have hospitality guru Chris Thompson joining, who's fresh back from the Asia's 50 Best Restaurants Awards in Singapore this week. So we're going to catch up with him to get the lowdown on the F&B industry in Vietnam and the region. So that should be a good one. Don't miss it. 
All right, looking forward to that. So that's it for this episode. Don't forget to send in your comments and questions before our next one so we can comment and answer. It should make for some great listening. Until then, take care and stay safe. This is Matt Cowan. And Melanie Kasul. Enjoy your week wherever you are. <laughs>